0: This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig, and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Eternal Life 101. So what we're going to talk about today is the remainder of Romans chapter 7, which, to be quite honest, encapsulates pretty much the entire chapter, but it kind of is divided up in such a way that we only covered the first six verses last week, and we covered a whole bunch of other swaths of Scripture in the uh, New Testament. Well, we're going to start today in verse 7 and go all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 25. Let's just jump right in in verse 7. So what should we say then? So that's in response to verse 6, by the way, that says, but now we are released from the law having died to that, which held us captive so that we can serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So the response, then Paul's anticipating questions he's going to get from people reading this letter. He's going to, they're going to be like, Whoa, 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 Paul. So what shall we say then that the law is sin? Are you saying that? So that's exactly what he does. He anticipates this question. What shall we say then that the law is sin by no means, yet if i had not been i'm sorry yet if it had not been for the law i would not have known sin for i would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet so i've said this in previous podcasts before that there was a period of time say under the in the book of genesis before the mosaic law was given before the 10 commandments were given and all the ordinances and the law that basically was given to Moses for the ancient Israelites to obey that they said they would obey, that men largely were under the covenant of conscience. Basically, if it seemed like God had said that you shall not murder, i.e. that Cain was punished for having killing Abel, well, then it must not be right for God or unto God rather. For us to kill people, right? But if we know there's a law in place that says thou shalt not covet, or thou shalt not commit adultery, or thou shalt not steal, we know that that's a sin. We know that God has revealed to us then that that is sin. So we would not know what sin is if it weren't for the law telling us that it's a sin or that we should not do it. And picking up in verse 8, but sin so we're talking about something that moves us to not obey god something that inflames itself up against a rule or a law we're told to keep so we talked about last week how there is something within human beings that makes them want to rebel against rules and some some sort of edicts saying you are going to do this and so paul is saying that inclination or what he calls sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness for apart from the law sin lies dead because we don't really know that it's a sin at all so our minds and our flesh aren't inflamed to want to do those things how many times have we seen young children we tell them not to do something And it's almost it's almost comical sometimes. You'll see them staring right at us. Like if we say, hey, don't touch, don't touch that cake. Right? And let's say they're within arm's reach, and they're staring at you while they're reaching for the cake. That's the same illustration I could utilize in our modern world that Paul is utilizing in verse eight, that basically sin is seizing an opportunity to create all kinds of covetous desires within you, right? So in verse 9, it says, it picks up on Paul's continuing thought. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So it wasn't a factor of God is basically introducing something bad to us. What Paul is saying here in verse 9 is that once the law was given and the commandment came, that rebellion within me came to life and sprang to life and I died because... If we die, if we're dead in our trespasses and sins, according to the book of Ephesians, that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in that once the the law was given that told us something was sinful, we saw it, every kind of inclination came within us to rebel against that and we died, right? In verse 10, the very commandment that promised life produced to be proved, I'm sorry, to be death to me. So it's not that the commandment is death and it's not so much that it produces death, but it's because of our own rebellion within us and our own unction to want to do those things that are contrary to what we're told not to do is what became death to me. In verse 11, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, and that's key right there, sin or that rebellion seized an opportunity that was there. Not because the commandment is bad, but because sinfulness within us causes that to happen within us. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So basically, yes, Paul is affirming, just as I am right here, that basically the commandments and the law and the prophets, good, wondrous and holy. And if it wasn't for our present condition and the condition of the world and the attitude of the world, and the spiritual forces that are in the world to want to tempt us to sin, then the law would be perfect, and we would be able to keep it perfectly. But because of our condition, and the way we are right now, and the way the world is, and that the fact that the demonic forces are in the world causing us to want to sin, to basically war against God, they can't war directly with God, but they can cause us to want to to sin and then take us away from god we're made in the image of god so in a sense that's the only way that the demons and the devil can sit there and put any kind of a dig or wage any kind of war against god is through us okay so in verse 13 he picks it up again and says did that which is good then bring death to me that's a key thing because it's like well you know i mean Why would God give me a commandment that he knew I couldn't keep, right? If he knew it was going to bring death, why would he do it? Well, earlier in the book of Romans, wherever sin increased, grace abounded, right? So it's this whole thing of Paul has already talked about this in chapter 5. Basically, that even though... We sinned, and even though through the commandment sin brings that opportunity, God gives us grace to cover that. It was so he could give us grace that he gave the law. But Paul obviously wants to address that here, right? So there's going to be a lot of word salad, so to speak, in here. So I'm going to go very slowly so I can illustrate and read it to you so you can understand it. So I'll pick it up again in verse 13 did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul's talking about here, he's not talking about that the commandment is a sinful thing or that it's a bad thing at all. He is illustrating the flesh in essence, the sin, that rebellion, that just breaks up within us. Oftentimes we don't even know where it comes from. And so Paul is saying that basically through the commandment, God is showing that sin might become sinful beyond measure. He can illustrate to the human race. See, it's because of your current flesh. I can't give you a bunch of rules to follow because it will only create more and more rebellion. So in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual because God is spirit, right? Jesus even said as much, God is spirit. And he wants those who worship him to worship him in spirit and in truth, right? So uh, we know the law is spiritual, For I, but I am of the flesh, rather. And let me just start that verse because I kind of botched that verse up. Uh, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, because once I sin, I am now dead in my trespasses and sins, right? Fourth, sin came into the world through Adam, through one act, right? But obviously, Jesus Christ came into the world after much sin had been committed through one act, created a harvest of righteousness, right? So we already talked about that in this podcast. In verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. So in this, Paul is going to go through, and I don't think he's just doing a hypothetical here. I think he's actually illustrating his own struggles with the law because elsewhere in the New Testament, I believe it's the book of Galatians, he talked about that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee. Saul, who became Paul, of course, but Saul was a Pharisee. So he was zealous about the law of God. He fully understands the law. He knows the struggles with the law and he knows the struggles that comes with trying to obey the law apart from Jesus Christ, right? So I don't think that he's illustrating a hypothetical here. I think he is highlighting his own struggle with sin. He was a human being. So we could say that this applies to us just as much as it does him because there is, um, no flesh has seized you except that which is common to man, right? And I believe that's in Second Corinthians. So it's very much the same thing that we struggle with. So he says, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. How many times have you done that in your own life? Even if you're not a Christian, you're like, why did I do that? Why did I just do that? Why did I just say that, right? In verse 16, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So if I end up committing adultery and I lose my spouse and they want to divorce me, then I agree that that was bad, that I shouldn't have done that. And I believe that the commandment is a good thing, right? In verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who that dwells within me. And the thing of it is, is Paul is not talking about a, a fault relationship here. He's talking about a causation. So you can't sit here and say, it's well, it's a sin within me. It's not me who's doing it, but it's within me doing it, right? But it's causing you to do it. Paul is talking about a cause and effect relationship here, right? Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And that is the weakness for the commandment. That is the weakness of the law. Every single one of us can empathize with exactly with what Paul is talking about here because how many times have we wanted to do the right thing and we just didn't do it, right? For me, it's losing weight. <laughs> you know, it's like I want to lose weight. I do good for a few days and then there's chocolate cake in the break room at work, right? So it ends up the sin within me springs to life and I end up falling off the wagon of my diet and then I'm right back where I started. So in essence, Paul's talking about the same thing. Realistically, we want to live a godly life. We're trying to abide by all these rules. We're trying to do good, the right thing. And one thing happens, it throws us completely off track and we fall completely off the rails, right? And that's exactly what Paul's illustrating right here. In verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. So now, I'm sorry, in verse 20, now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Therein lies the problem, folks. The huge problem here between rule keeping and. Between the old covenant and the new covenant, and why the new covenant is so much better, as illustrated already in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 37, Jeremiah 31, Daniel chapter 9, and Isaiah chapter 53. All of these are old covenant sc- passages of scripture that I just highlighted, but that illustrated that a new covenant was coming. Okay, because it is not the problem of the commandment. It's the problem of the sin that just sits there within us, springing for an opportunity and just waiting for a moment to tempt you to want to sin. And you are powerless in of your own flesh to be able to resist. You may be successful here and there, but over the long haul of your life, you're not going to be able to perfectly live out the law and to perfectly live a righteous life that Jesus did. Which is why in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says that although he was tempted, he was without sin. We have the perfect sacrifice unto God, according to Isaiah chapter 53, that we were freed from the law because he became that perfect sacrifice for us, right? Because he was able to do according to that which Paul is talking about here did not exist within him because he was God. Why would God rebel against his own nature? The fact that he took on human flesh did not change who he was intrinsically from eternity. That he was the son of God who was was himself God and was also with God. And according to John 1 verse 14 identifies that person as Jesus Christ that, uh, that the apostle John is talking about in John 1 verse 1. Okay, so Paul greatly illustrates here the big problem with trying to observe the law in order to attain any kind of righteousness or eternal life. We can't do it. See my podcast from last week. I went over a whole bunch of scriptures that greatly illustrated how we walk in the spirit and why we're released from the law. Paul's basically making a case here of why. It had to happen. Why? Jesus had to do what he did. Why? A new covenant was needed. So we'll pick it up in verse 21. It says, so I find it to be, uh, let me, let me back up. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So it's right there with me, right? So it's like I could sit here and read, thou shalt not steal. But if I really want something, well, I might be tempted to take it in verse 22. And I'm I'm obviously speaking hypothetically, of course, to illustrate the truth that Paul is talking about here. I'm not talking about literally. I'm talking about to illustrate the scriptures here. So in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inward being. As a matter of fact, there are many times in the Psalms that were attributed to be uh, written by David, for I love your law. Right. It's basically it's exactly what this is saying. The law is good. The law is great, a rule book for telling me every single way that I have to live in order to be considered righteous before God. But can I carry it out? Can it even be done? And Paul is making the case here, and rightfully so. No, it can't be done because evil sin is right here within me, almost like a little gremlin within us, just waiting to just take hold of that opportunity and to kill us, right? Picking it up in verse 23, For I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to that law of sin that dwells within my members. He wants to do the right thing. Intrinsically, we all want to do the right thing. There are very few of us in this world that just dwell on evil and think it's good. We all want to do the right thing for the most part. We all want to do that which pleases God. We all want to do that which would please other people. But then we find ourselves doing things, and you you hear that phrase all the time, I just couldn't help myself, right? How many times have you heard that? How many times have you even said that, right? So that's the exact thing that Paul's talking about here. No amount of rule keeping can save you. The law of Moses can't save you. No even Christian rule book is going to be good enough unless you are truly walking with the Spirit. And what that means is basically daily prayer, daily Bible reading, daily thinking about what I could do next to please God. If I do sin, according to what Paul talks about here in Romans chapter seven, if I do the the evil that I don't want to do, that I confess that before God in fulfillment of first John chapter one, verse nine through chapter two, verse one, right? That we receive cleansing and forgiveness. It's, It's an ongoing thing. Since Jesus was God in the flesh, He lived the perfect life. He died for our sins. That is an infinite sacrifice in my mind. Okay. And it makes sense why it's like Jesus had to be more than just a man. There's no way on earth that he was just a man, that he was just some random human being that God picked out from all of the human beings that were born and said, this guy, Jesus, he looks good. He's going to be my harbinger. He's going to breathe be the one that um, I place my spirit within. To and he gets enlightened to that later in life. He knew who he was at the age of 12. In the gospels, it talks about basically that when he was a young man or a young boy, that he and his parents, Mary and Joseph took a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem much as the ancient Jews would in many times in the past, right? But he ended up staying behind and oftentimes these people would travel in large groups and they realized after a few days, Jesus isn't with us. Where is he? So they frantically go back and they find him in the temple. And they said, son, why have you done this to us? Why have you, why have you, you know, worried us and made us sick with worry? I'm paraphrasing of course. And Jesus said, why were you worried? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? He's in the temple of God, right? So he knew who he was very early on in life, right? I imagine that had to have been mind blowing for Mary and Joseph. But regardless of that, the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus was God within human flesh. He wasn't merely flesh like we are, he had the nature of God within him. New Testament's very clear about that. He himself is God. To deny that is to deny the New Testament and to be quite frankly, the Old Testament. See also my episode about the Trinity that I released a couple weeks ago. Anyway, so let's continue on in chapter 24. So I'm sorry, in verse 24, Paul talks had already talked extensively about sin living within him that would cause him to do terrible things and unrighteous things and that would cause him to violate the law of God. So he just, I'm sure as he's going through this and dictating to his scribe all of these truths, he's saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, it's like he keeps building this case and all of a sudden he just explodes in his spirit in a sense saying, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And of course, the answer is at verse 25 thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So Paul isn't talking about the results of the new covenant with that latter part of verse 25. What he's talking about is the summation of the entire argument that he's been making. He is in verse 24 and first part of verse 25, he cries out in response to everything he's just expounded upon. And then in the latter part of verse 25, he makes his summary argument that he serves the law of God and with his mind, he agrees that it's good, but with his flesh, he serves the law of sin, which causes himself to become and us consequently, obviously speaking in general terms to end up becoming alienated from God. Right. So sorry about that. I had to pause this for a second because I got a dry spot in my throat. I didn't want to cough <laughs> uh, throughout this podcast. At any rate, I want to finish up the thought here that Paul is actually building throughout this whole thing and that we know that the law is a good thing, but that there is something deep within us that makes us want to rebel against the law of God and not follow the law of God. And that is why we need it to be released from the law that Paul talked about in the first part of Romans chapter 7, And he expounded upon it starting in verse 7 of chapter 7, went all the way through the end of the chapter, making the case of why we had to be released from the law. Okay, But if you're curious about how in the world this has any meaning towards you, or you've been convicted in your heart and in your spirit, that maybe you're one of those people who have followed some sort of rules-based denomination or faith, Or maybe you're a a Jewish person yourself. Maybe you've tried following the law all your life and you've just never been able to do it. And this sounds good, well, and interesting to you. And you've read those verses that I brought up in Ezekiel chapter 36, chapter 37, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Um, In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, of what the 77s was meant to accomplish. And then in fulfillment, completely of Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant uh, that would heal us by his stripes and by his wounds, then I invite you to listen to the segment that's coming up here in just a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life and I wanna follow you for the rest of my days. Jesus name I pray, amen. That's all you need to do and your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was penning First John. He says, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on. In my bio for this podcast, I'm also available at gmail at disciplepov, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.